Hello. Hello. What's happening? Not much. Recording this podcast? Yeah. Not much is funny because Tara came over. She brought tacos. I'm drinking a margarita right now. I got a magic bullet. Yes, a magic bullet. Yes. And you remember those old infomercials back in the day with all the people hanging out in the kitchen and they're like, we're hungry. Give us something to eat. Where's all the food? They're like, it's okay. We have the magic bullet. We can make it right now. I don't remember that. Well, they were always like, you can like whip up shit in the breeze. And they're, it's actually kind of right. It did make that margarita really fast. Really fast. Like in five seconds or something like that. It might have been less. It was very efficient. It was cool though. The number one thing I remember from that infomercial is the old bitch and not Marge. She had like crazy hair and glasses and she had a cigarette literally hang off of her lip. Like it was just like sitting there. <laughs> the hosts are like, what's your like least favorite thing to do in the kitchen? She walks in out of nowhere and she was like, dropping garlic, stinky, smelly garlic. Every time a dinner's a production. That's what I remember. If anyone could like point me in the direction of a Go recording on of this infomercial. Just YouTube Magic Bullet infomercial. You will definitely find it. I have watched that infomercial at least 20 times. Front to back. Nice. But anyways... So we were eating yeah. tacos and we were bitching about life because it is very, very crazy times right now. So the fact that you're like, not much is ironic. Compared to what I could be doing right now, not much. Well, I suppose that is somewhat true. <laughs> so uh, we're basic snitches. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, that's the name of this podcast that we are recording right now. Great. We're awesome. Sure. Don't sure me. We are awesome. We're, we're, we're fine. Awesome. Today we're reading no I always say that. We aren't reading shit. We're discussing chapter nine. Nine. The dark I, mark. It looks like I wrote eleven and then crossed it out. Whatever. It's the dark mark. We're doing that. Before we do that, I'm just gonna real quick talk about chapter eight, which if anyone remembers was uh, when there was some sports happening. If anyone remembers, if anyone remembers, she's saying uh, that because we're off of our schedule and we're a mess. Yes, um, but no. So chapter eight, the winner and loser. The loser of chapter eight is Ludo Bagman for being slimy. Again? Yeah, again for being oh, slimy and for like. Okay, this is the like, Malfoys were in that chapter. Ludo Bagman loses this chapter. Oh, I did. Uh, I, I okay. Ludo is my favorite. I just need to make this point. All he did was announce the game. That's he did a great job announcing the game. However, I didn't realize you like disliked Ludo Bagman I, much. That's all. I don't hate Ludo Bagman. I just think he's really oily and he doesn't do anything good. He's not bad. He's not good. But I'm giving him the loss because I feel like he is a wizard in power who abuses it. He doesn't abuse it like other terrible people in the series, but I think he abuses his power. He continues to feel very slimy and oily to me, and he'll probably continue to feel that way. But he won't lose every time he's in a chapter. I was going to say, I, it sounds to me like he's losing because he's in the chapter, but that's oh. okay. We do that sometimes. Who um, wins? Okay, is it so, Winky? So the winner of the chapter is Victor Crumb. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> For obvious reasons, if I could give a runner-up prize, it would be to the Prime Minister of Bulgaria. Oh, yeah. That was actually maybe exactly what I thought you were going to say. Yep. Okay, well, very interesting. Your loser is very interesting. I'm not, like, a big Ludo Bagman fan either. I'm just like, the Mouth Boys were there. Fudge Packer was there. So, yeah. Are you asking me if I'm going to read your thing? Yes, because where's my fucking phone? Here it is. The subject of this email is the thing... 
And then the copy of this email is Here's the Thing. So here's the thing. Chapter 9, The Dark Mark. Everything goes to shit. Really? <laughs> We're not joking this time. That is <laughs> quite literally the thing. You had such an important chapter, and that's all you said? Oh my god. What did you want? <laughs> I wanted some descriptions, especially because I read this chapter. I was actually like on top of it for preparing this time. We are recording on a Wednesday, which typically we record during the weekends. At least lately we have been. We were going to record on Saturday, but we ended up not doing that because I woke up intending to have a very chill morning that I very much needed because... Again, times are crazy right now, not just in terms of like what's going on in the world, but keep in mind, this is end of October. So you're listening to this well after, and we don't even know what's going to happen in the next few weeks. Anyways, we were supposed to record this past weekend. I wake up and fucking Bentley had a swollen paw. So I ended up taking him to the vet. Obviously, like if you have pets and you go to the vet, you cannot go into the actual building. They will come out and get your pet and you have to do registration over the phone and all that. And so I get to the vet. We're sitting in the car for an hour and a half before they take him in. Literally the moment they take him in, I had therapy appointments start. They're all digital right now because pandemic. So my phone was going off. I hand Bentley over. And then we were gonna record after my therapy appointment, like an hour after it ended. And I didn't know if I could go home or what. So I ended up going home. We ended up like canceling the recording session, moving it to today and picking Bentley up back up at the vet at 9 p.m. So my whole Saturday was shot. So I was like, well, at least I have Tara's thing to remind me of what happens in this chapter, but now I don't even have that. Okay, so here's the thing. One, that was a fucking clever chapter summary. It was. I'm not yelling at you because I'm yelling at you because I'm like, what the fuck? Two, <laughs> I, I started one. Steve can attest that I spent some real time trying to get something out. And I got about two pages into the chapter and said, there's no way. Because it's too much. There is a way I really could have, but it was just too hard. And I was like, you know what? Everything that I'm going to say in this outline, I'm just going to say again when we were talking. So I gave up. Mm. I'm a quitter. You are a quitter. Yeah. <laughs> That's horrible. All right. Well, no how does this chapter... said it wasn't horrible. How, so. how does chapter begin? Because I forgot. They're sleeping. They're back. They go back to the tent. They're no, all that's like, not true. Yeah, they're back at the tent, and, and Mr. Weasel's like, don't tell your mom you've been gambling. And they all have hot chocolate, and then everyone goes to bed. They wake up because there's noises and writing and shit. Yeah. Okay. There is this kind of like brief afterglow where he's sitting in bed, and he can still kind of see like the lanterns through the tent roof and things like that. While I was reading this, knowing what was about to divulge, part of me was like, is this like the transition period of things are starting to happen? Then afterwards, I actually kind of backpedaled on that. No, I think it's very clearly like people are still celebrating. That's what all the noise is about. Then oh, yeah. something happens and there's clearly a shift. Harry falls asleep, kind of fantasizing. He's a famous Quidditch player and all of that. And then he wakes up to that shit. To like, everybody needed, gotta leave the house. Gotta leave the tent right now. Gotta go. When they leave the tent, that's where they see, and this is the first mention ever of Death Eaters at all. And they're marching around. They've got the Robertses kind of floating in the air. So this is the first impression, of course. They get actually get into it later in the chapter where they kind of describe, like, this is just how Death Eaters treat muggles in general. That's just what their thing is. You know, and, and they also establish that Death Eaters are the followers of Voldemort, sure. 
my initial thought was why do they not care about them being like discovered by muggles i guess but the intent i think of course was to kill them but it just seems so strange and even like again later in the chapter or maybe it's even the next chapter. Mr. Weasley, I think, says something along the lines of maybe they had a little bit too much to drink and they were trying to, like, do, like, back in the good old days and, like, fuck with some yeah. others. There needs to be more intent for them to, like, make such a huge scene in such a public place, which to me is the reason why they chose to do this here. Also, you happen to not be part of a racist, bigoted, fanatical group of followers of an evil dark wizard. So you might not 100% connect uh, like, with not the, understand the things. It. Because they're all power hungry. A part of it, yes, the Quidditch World Cup is the place to do that. And they care about exposure. But they're not thinking about exposure. They care about showing off their power. Putting fear in people. They clearly don't care about being exposed because they're out in the open torturing muzzles. Muzzles. Muggles. I'm not even dr that drunk. Because they are. She like had tequila said, though. I we really have tequila before. But I, I think recording. I think that you were right that you, that they were intending to kill them. And if not, like then they would have modified their memories too. Sure. I do think though, there had to be have been some like predetermined like intent. What's the there's a word for that. Pre I don't I can't remember think of what it is, but like when somebody's like plans out that they're actually gonna just do a crime, it's called in court pre premeditated. premeditated. That's exactly the word. Thank you. I um, also record a podcast about cops. Oh, cool. I listen to like a, a true crime thing, but uh, I've had but more words to hard. I know. The only, it's only reason it's is because I did last Stress time. is overtaking my body. Words but yes, stupid. this premeditated. I think that there had to be some premeditated nature to this. And like, if you're going to torture muggles, like why would you come to an all wizard event at the same time? Like that doesn't really make sense. Who knows? Maybe it was a combination of all of it. Maybe right. Mr. Weasley is right to an extent. Well, to the timeline, just to kind of put it there and to obviously give away a lot that happens at the end, the Death Eaters at the World Cup are causing shit. And then the Dark Mark is conjured. They're not related as far as the timeline of this chapter. If Lucius Malfoy and all the Death Eaters are just having a good old time playing Fucking power right. games and being assholes, they are not involved with in the, person who did in the, the conjuring mark. of the Dark Marks. I think that they're just like, this is a place where we can get away with this. We can cause destruction. We can abuse our power. The ministry can... clearly doesn't have their shit together. So what are they going to do? Uh, yes. I think that they actually established that pretty well. The Dark Mark is cast and then the Death Eaters scattered. And I think there's even a conversation, again, I can't remember if it's this chapter or the next, where it's almost like, was it a chicken or the egg situation? Yeah. Did they scatter because they were scared or did they scatter because they were like, oh shit, Volda is back. We actually don't want him to come and find us because a lot of us have said that we aren't followers of him anymore. When we actually get to the Dark Mark portion, just my own like deduction and knowing the overarching story, spoiler alert, a lot of this is not in the movie and like some of this Fuck like really this. important like detail and the good mystery elements of this chapter are not in the movie, which is a fucking shame. So like as I was reading this whole Dark Mark thing and like realizing how the overarching story actually like transpires. Harry drops his fucking wand. Someone else finds it. They cast the dark mark. Winky picks up the wand. They find Winky. They do the little like, they check its search history. And, <laughs> and lo and behold, yep. oh my God, this is the wand. And Harry's like, it's my wand. In my mind, also getting into how Barty Crouch Sr. 
reacts to all of this, I'm like, it was Buddy Crouch Jr. Winky was there because of that relationship between, like, the Crouches and stuff. Right. So they're like, Which, you don't know this stuff until you've read the book. Right. So that's all a spoiler, but whatever. Yeah. Also, obviously, we will get into this more, but in the movie, that's who, who cast the Dark Mark anyway. So mm -hmm. they didn't change everything, at least. <laughs> but yeah, so that's kind of what I was thinking in terms of, of how it went. The biggest thing that's strange to me is the whole reason of why it happens anyways. And so my thought is that Barty Croucher Jr. just did it to kind of like fuck around because he's like worse than all the rest. This is revealed literally in like chapter 31 or something. Yeah. Barty Crouch cast the dark mark, one, because he had access to a wand, so he took it. But two, he wouldn't have cast the dark mark had the Death Eaters not, not been, been like there. that. Exactly. Because yeah. he's trying to be like... Oh yeah, well, you guys all ran from the Dark Lord. You denied so that that's you were the his followers. It. Yeah, and he explains that to Harry and Dumbledore or whoever at the end of the book. I'm glad that you mentioned it because I think now is the time to talk about some of that before it comes up because there are so many like possibilities of why certain things happened here and now. The first time I read this book, this chapter here, I was like, how did this happen? What's going on? Oh my God, they can't find who did this. It's, it's a very intense chapter. And then the way where you think that Harry's going to get blamed for it. Oh my God, how scary is it that like they can just take his wand and do whatever. How crazy is it that they can do this spell where they can bring back the last, last cast incantation. Uh, incantation? This is a really great download of information. While also when you come back to it, you're like, oh, I see how this worked. It's actually probably one of the best chapters in this book. You don't realize how good it is until you've yeah, already read the book. Because the detail and the level of stuff that goes on here. I wrote three pages of notes and I've never written that much for a chapter, I don't think. Because there are so many little things and so many like thoughts and things to discuss so yeah i think that kind of like gets over at least the overarching nature of what the chapter is one other thing that i had actually thought about too and then we can kind of move away from this initial like crowd well two things the first thing is that there's the crowd of the like actual death eaters but then there's the crowd that's forming around them which at first i don't think was necessarily well explained they talked about how like the crowd kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger but i took it as there's the death eaters in the middle and everybody's coming around to like fight off or try to like stop the death eaters but also being careful because they're they're unpredictable and whatnot. Did you kind of get that? I didn't think that direction at all. Even once like some of the Weasleys go to quote unquote fight them off because I don't think that's necessarily the right terminology but to well, yeah, but to stop them. It describes the crowd kind of growing and I was like oh, it's got to be people around not like other Death Eaters just coming out of nowhere. I think that you're right. I think that it's just more people and it's not necessarily more people fighting the Death Eaters but probably just more and more people being disturbed they should have been sleeping. Like yeah. added to the I crowd. Exactly. Because the... that's when they start passing people People that they know, like they run in the Malfoy, who's douchey, yes. and then they hear the Bobaton girls and yes. stuff. I definitely want to get into that too, because oh, okay. that whole thing of them, it's almost like them going through the woods and seeing all these almost vignettes. Vignettes is mm -hmm. not the right word, but you know what I mean. Yeah. There's like a lot of like activity. The other thing that I kind of thought about here is trying to connect this to past chapters too. So far, you know, the way that the book has gone, we see the, the first chapter, which stands alone. We have the whole Dursley thing. Quidditch World Cup, and now this chapter and the next chapter go back to a little bit what happens in the first and even the second chapter. We learn, obviously, that Pettigrew has found Voldemort in the first chapter. 
But I can't imagine that all of these Death Eaters know that Voldemort is about to rise to power. None of them know. This part is never said in the book, but I think that's part of the reason why Barty Crouch is like, oh yeah, let's just see because I was the most loyal. But none of these people know what's going on. It's Wormtail and Barty Crouch Jr. Yeah. That makes a little bit more sense of like why he cast the mark because Barty Crouch Jr. knows what he's doing. But it does also kind of dispel what I said earlier about the group of Death Eaters being premeditated. I mean, I feel like it has to be. I think that they were. I think that they were... I think that probably, like, one or two who were friends, like maybe Malfoy and Crabbe and Goyle, because apparently they're all BFFs Uh as adults, too. I feel like Malfoy wouldn't have started. I think it would have been a dumber Death Eater. Yeah. Because Malfoy's pretty slick. Maybe Senior Crabbe and Goyle were like, oh, we're just going to start torturing muggles or whatever. They're telling Lucius. I'm sure that they can just wand themselves into their Death Eater masks or something. Right. And they just start stirring shit up. Then other Death Eaters who are there are like, yeah, it's yeah. really fun to just wreak havoc. Like, that's that's in my head what happened yeah. to, like, create that. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't premeditated, but it was yeah. just kind of like a, yeah, we'll do this. I think you're right. The reason why I'm so stuck on it being premeditated, even though there's all this evidence against it not being premeditated, kind of random, is because Lucius was in the box. Mm-hmm. And the whole, like, smoke and mirrors of, oh, we don't need all this money, and now here we are. While the Malfoys do like showing off their wealth, for sure, I don't think it's just about that. I feel like showing that top spot is a lot of, in itself, smoke and mirrors for him knowing what's about to happen. I think you're so right about it not being one of those top tier smarter Death Eaters. Someone a little bit more like lower pecking order being like, hey, this is an opportunity. Let's just fuck around. Let's say Lucius is the the top dog in between the three of them. The two of them saying, hey, let's do this. And Lucius being like, no, it's a little bit too risky. Calm your ass down. Voldemort isn't even back yet even if he knows anything, you know? Right. But then the two of them being like, well, we're going to go talk to all these other people and, like, amass the crowd. And then being like, well, all these other people are in it, so we're going to do it. And then Lucian's like, okay, fine. Or if Death Eaters just are fucking around all the time. There are 100,000 wizards in this one location and four muggles. Yeah. This is an opportunity for us to torture these muggles, remind everyone that we're still around, they're not safe, and what are they going to do about it? The non-Death Eaters are going to be more worried about exposure, keeping the muggles safe, keeping each other safe. There are a lot of children there. This is like an international disaster now. Yeah. There's actually no time to worry about Death Eaters. Part of me is also like, why haven't we heard of something else like this? Let's say every so often they do get together and do something like this. The fact that it is bigger and it's an international disaster, I think, makes it more of a poignant thing. So maybe it isn't happening, like, at Diagon Alley all the time or whatever. You know, I'm trying to think of, like, frequency. And it's also kind of bad timing for them, too, because of what happens in Chapter 1. The other thing I thought about is the fact that people like Lucius Malfoy are kind of on the inside. Lucius knows about the Triwizard Tournament happening. Knows about the responsibilities on the shoulders of the British Ministry of Magic. The Death Eaters are clearly mostly British wizards. And so having that kind of big event, I'm I'm assuming that the World Cup in 1993 happened maybe in another country. Yeah. So it's not really like the British ministry didn't handle all this. But here you have a ministry that's already corrupt. The guy running magical games and sports is very easily manipulated. Someone from that department is missing. Everything is just a mess. Like, why not? 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, too. like see how far you can go with it. Maybe they are hoping for like an opportunity to do some real damage. Starting a riot and just hurting people just to hurt people is maybe a place to start. I don't know. Yeah. I might be an asshole, but I'm not evil enough to come up with any of that. There's so many like possibilities. I think that's why it's important to kind of like dissect and talk about all of these because this book is so dense and some of the things that happen later are worth bringing up now. Overall, this chapter, what I get out of it, and this is something I feel like I always say once we're like done with the book conversation, which we're by no means done with the book conversation. <laughs> this chapter feels like it is a clear shift. The first three books are a little bit more lighthearted. You know, there's dark elements of it, of course, as we've talked about. But this feels like a clear shift of like, there's shit going on and this is just a taste of what is potential. This transition from not necessarily light to dark, but lighter to darker. And then from here, it kind of like spirals down. Well, let's definitely talk about some of these things then that happens once they're like kind of running into the woods and everything. Because some of these I think mm -hmm. are important and to an extent maybe even foreshadowing. And the first person that we meet obviously is Draco. Who is flat out being threatening. He's flat out being threatening, but he's also being pretty stupid. Like Voldemort has not risen to power. He is literally saying, hey, my parents are white supremacists. But he's also been in this privileged space his whole life. I don't but... think he understands, too, that the power quite yet, maybe even that the three of them have even come into. Because, like, they've shown a lot of power in the last three books. Yeah. But it's like, these three kids are not the people that you want to be telling this to. And I think Draco eventually realizes it. I think that that's really the big thing, is that we watched Lucius flat out be incredibly racist and assholey to Harry, to Mr. Weasley. Just in case you guys are hearing that, I have like this ball and a track toy and Bentley is playing with it downstairs. That's what that is. At least he's not running around trying to hurt his paw. Not trying to hurt his You know what I mean. No, but the thing that I was mostly like, ew, Draco, is that he's just like, well, don't let the Death Eaters see Hermione. Uh, yeah. Flat out being a racist douchebag. Well, also there's a hundred thousand wizards here. Not all of them are purebloods. There's a lot of muggleborns. Yeah, there's a lot of half-bloods, there's a lot of muggle-borns. Also, he doesn't fucking know shit. He knows Hermione is muggle-born, and he's never gonna let it go because he's a fucking terrible bully who goes back to the same two things. She comes with the trio, and he's like, Oh, Harry, your parents are dead. Rude. Oh, Hermione, you're muggle-born. Rude. Oh, Ron, you're poor. What the fuck? Like, you're a terrible bully. It's a terrible bully thing, but here I think it becomes even more apparent to me that it comes from him just being risen in a specific environment that gives him one point of view and that's mm -hmm. it and that's Absolutely. why being a bully is being a bully and everything whether you're a terrible one or a good one but to me this is where it gets to the root of what being a bully means and it means not having the perspective and the empathy to be able to recognize differences in other people no, because, like you said, think about the way he's been raised. The other people, like you said, that we meet here are the Bobaton students. That French that is in there literally is, where is Madame Maxime? We lost her. I didn't have to look that up. I felt really proud of that after taking six years of French. That's so nice. I know. I, know. I took two years of French 20 years ago. 20 years ago? Holy shit. Yes, I'm an old bitch. Yeah, I'm like two years younger than you. Was it really 20 years for me too? No, probably I mean, not. it's getting there, now I think about it. Oh my god, I that is it, bizarre. I took it 1990, 2000, and 2000, 2001. The most fluid thing that I can say to this day is Je pense que j'ai plus de mes pantalons. 
something about your pants. Yeah, it means I think I've lost my pants. And that is pretty apropos because I'm not wearing pants today. He isn't. Drinking margaritas and we're not wearing pants. As you all know, my favorite episode to date is the last episode where I didn't wear pants. Which was Big Ol' Spider Puss. Yes, that was Adam's favorite. So, who knows? The Maybe no this pants. is going to be a really good episode. No Pants Part 2. This is a harder episode to make funny, I will say. But, I don't know. It's It's got no pants energy, so. Right, it does. And if nothing else, we'll just come back to the fact that Draco sucks. Yes, but we moved on to Bobaton now. Yeah, Bobaton. Also, like, I mentioned in the last chapter how, oh, it's Vila's. Maybe that's like, hey, we haven't met Fleur yet, but we have met Cedric and, and Victor. Perhaps. I mean, it's definitely closer at the very least and an acknowledgement of another like wizarding school. And yeah, I mean, that's course. important to establish. It is kind of funny to include here, but I guess, hey, we have Victor, might as well mention, you know. It's Robotons. also good to just like show all the different wizards that Cultures. are there. And to call back on it, I think, too, like yeah. when you're rereading it and seeing that. There's also all these, like, little instances of, like, they see goblins that are kind of, like... They're, like, whatever, we don't give a shit. And then there's a whole bunch of villas. It's very interesting to me because it's such chaos with, from all these people from different walks of life. And that's why it makes me think of, let's say, even book seven, where there's all these types of people fleeing. And this seems like a much more toned down potential foreshadowing of that, I guess. Like I said, this chapter feels like a shift to me. So having this happen here where power is rising and then having it at the end of the series where power is at its peak and eventually, of course declining <laughs> to right. like the very very end that's the kind of feeling i got from this it's like oh like this is maybe a taste of what's to come when there's darkness like i mean this. i think that that's a really good point oh yeah and then all the wizards that are like bragging about shit like stan shunpike oh it's that's like, right be, stan shunpike is in there too i'm gonna be the next minister of magic or whatever the fuck yeah is. yeah and like that's why in the last book i had asked if he is a death eater or something mm-hmm. because i think he has some moments and, like, I loved Stan in the last book. I thought he was great, especially in the movie. I think that the actor who portrays him was really good. But he does have some of these moments here where it shows that he has a little bit more of a dubious side, too. Because it's really not relevant to the plot that much. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of with Harry on Stan Shunpike. I think Stan's an idiot. By the time we hit the sixth book, they arrest Stan Shunpike for admitting that he's a Death Eater or whatever. Stan is definitely used as a scapegoat. I don't think he's a true Death Eater. However, I think he could have been persuaded to be one. Uh, Perhaps he's like a wannabe. To me, Stan is similar to Ludo Bagman, whereas like on the surface, he's not so bad, but he does have some deviousness to him that arises here and there. Not necessarily to the level of Ludo Bagman, certainly, but... Well, um, I mean, Ludo Bagman, none of this shit's he, in the book yeah, or in the movie. in the movie. he Because he's another one that they come across, and now he's, like, completely different. Here, it's just kind of showing, like, what a bumblehead he is. And then, of course, the big plot point here is this is where, of course, Harry loses his wand. Well, this is where he realizes he does yeah, not yeah, have yeah, yeah, his yeah. wand. Yeah. And he assumes he has dropped it. Very soon after this, Winky comes into the picture. I already kind of mentioned it. That's like, oh, hey, Winky. I kind of relate her into the whole plot point about Spew, of course. And we got a lot more Spew ammunition here, too. Mm -hmm. With Hermione sticking up for her and how she feels and everything. And talking about, like, the cruelty of Buddy Crouch Sr. And that's when they come in, Crouch, Mr. Weasley, and Mr. Amos. And Amos Diggory. They're all coming in shoot spells at the kids and that's when they pull winky out yes this is where we get back 
more into the ministry necessarily knowing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes and no. I think there's some good things here and there's some bad things here. Some of that comes to fruition more in the next chapter and I'm really excited to get into that. First of all, like Bagman comes in, like I said earlier, Bagman perhaps suspecting his son to an extent. I got that feeling the entire time when you reading You mean Crouch? This. Yes, I'm sorry, Crouch. Bagman has a son. Did you know about that? I mean, maybe They go he does. into a lot of detail in this chapter about Bagman's son. Bagman's son. I don't know if you remember that because... <laughs> I obviously didn't. No, Crouch's son. Yes. What I wrote was, what the fuck is Crouch's deal? Think that three kids, those in particular, where he had conversations with them, not necessarily with them, but with them in the same presence, the day before conjured the mark. Amos kind of has a little bit of that later, but I feel like Amos is much quicker to like realize that that's not logical. I think because Crouch is so direct and forward about this, it really makes him look more suspicious. I never thought that Mr. Crouch suspected his son immediately. I think Mr. Crouch feared it was his son. That might be a better word for it. wanted to tell himself that it was not... That Winky had it under control because there's a whole... And this, again, comes out at the end of the book. If he is concerned about it at this point, then he's definitely 100% suspicious and like, holy fuck, what do I do when Winky is brought out? Right, right, right. That's when Crouch knows what happened. He's losing it. Like, it just is all downhill. Right, right. Out for him. With all of the Death Eaters causing shit and torturing the Robertses, I don't know that Crouch would immediately go, oh, it was my son. It's so weird that he immediately goes in and is like, one of you three did it. And Arthur's even like, uh, that's my son and his friends. Well, I think that's reactionary, though. It is. It happens. Here are the kids. Here are the people. Because then, once someone starts to, like, flush it out of them, he's like, oh, no. It's kids. But even if it were someone a little bit more different, like Seamus and Dean, this is a pretty high tense moment where you've got to be like on your wits and you're going up to Harry Potter out of anybody, like discounting the fact that they were in proximity when having these conversations the other day. It's just so fucking weird. It shows that there is a level of unhingement with him or unhinged might not be quite the Uh... right word, but there's something not quite right. He is very on edge about this. He's been on edge through the whole thing. Like when we met him earlier and he's like, he seems dismissive, but that's who he is. One, he's naturally a person who's on edge to a, a scary point. I mean, same. Sure. I'm also on edge to a scary point. Watch out to it. He was already on edge because his son is there. Well. I think that was part he, of it. He, wait, I'm, I'm confused now. Cause I think that, so we're talking about when he first goes in. No, when you meet him, I think he's already on edge. He's at this event he doesn't want to be at. He doesn't give a shit. But you said something along the lines of he knows his son is there? His son is there. He brought his son to the World Cup. That's why Winky's in the stands. Winky is saving Mr. Crouch's seat. Barty Crouch is under that invisibility cloak. Uh, sitting in that seat that's saved okay, from that's Mr. Crouch. Okay, that's something else I forgot about too. Because it's not in the movie. Because how would you follow it? And that's when he steals Harry's wand. Why did Barty Crouch Sr. bring Barty Crouch Jr.? Because he wanted to go. He was just being a good daddy. And that's that is so fucking weird. It's, it's I, so... I completely forgot about I, that. I mean, like, when we get to the end of the book, holy shit, like, there, the reveal of Barty Crouch Jr. is brilliant, I think. Wow. Wow, the I completely movie forgot about that. Up. But it's, not only did the movie fuck it up, but there's so many details in this book. It's just, there's so much. So, all right, well, so we knew he was there, so there's that so, too. So, yeah, but I think that he's, like, there, and I think that in this moment... 
he's like, oh, please, it can't be this. It can't be this. It can't be this. I have to find someone to blame it on. Mm -hmm. So that's when he was like, when Hermione is like, here are some facts about what happened. He's like, whoa, you see black, you're very informed. She's like, I'm fucking 14 years old. What yeah, the yeah. You know? And I think that is the wrong place to go in this moment. Even if like you're trying to save your own ass, yeah. like it's still your own career that you are kind of throwing under the bus yeah. by doing this. I, it's really, really weird. But that is, that's the kind of person he is. He is just very high strung. And not necessarily doing the best thing. He can't, I mean, he clearly does not do well in now, a crisis. It's so interesting because there's constantly these people who are like putting up this facade. He is somebody who definitely strikes me as someone putting up a facade. We talked about the Malfoys and Fudge doing it in the last chapter. Obviously the Dursleys come up a lot with that. For him to have this very like stoic kind of right. gray persona and then to have all of this underneath it and like to be making rash comments like that is just it's so fucking bizarre you do learn also later in the book barty crouch has been unraveling prior yeah. to this book a lot of it starts with bertha jorkins and the fact that he's just naturally a very suspicious anxiety driven person yeah and again same i think that percy's love of barty crouch comes from the organization and the fact that barty crouch does have this fake persona but it's not actually that strong and anyone who's paying attention to him can see past it. Whereas per Percy, Percy isn't. Percy sees that. That's all he's looking for. He's good. He moves on to Percy. Percy is simply seeing ambition. And now, of course, Barty Crouch Sr. So now I feel like we have to start like making sure that we, we indicate that. His tune changes so drastically then. When Amos comes in and suggests that he taught Winky Morse Mordridge. And, and then, like, he's the one who almost is like, how dare you suggest that it was Harry? He says, you've now come close to accusing the two least likely people in this clearing or something. Myself and Harry Potter. Like, he says something like that to Amos. Amos has this moment, too, almost, where he's in the mix as well. But then something else that I wrote is that perhaps it just shows how quickly things can become completely confusing and kind of backwards with dark arts in the mix. After not seeing the dark mark in such a long time, that also adds another layer of just tension over everything. Oh yeah, everything is just so suspicious. I don't think that anyone is 100% not worthy of being suspected at least a little bit. Yeah. You know, outside of the children. Winky Arthur. is another one. Yeah. I will say, you said Arthur. I think that to us, Arthur is obviously not somebody to, to suspect. But if we're looking at it from an outside perspective of, hey, here's three ministry officials, mm -hmm. Arthur could very well have been there too. See, we I just see know him. that. I don't necessarily, I mean, because I've read the book and I know when we meet Dobby in the second book and we know that these elves have their own kind of magic, have you? What is Winky? Honestly, Winky is literally attached to the person who did do it or mm. was when it happened. Yeah. Well, but, and Hermione even says, okay, listen to the bitch's voice. Yeah, like, but then clearly. she was just like, I mean, and that, of course, is like following logic. And Hermione is the queen of logic. In this gathering of adult ministry wizards, she's like, but this, like, she's so stoic and yeah. awesome. A little bit more about Winky, too, I think, as we're getting to the end of the chapter. The difference of what clothes and freedom mean between Winky and Dobby is mm -hmm. so, so interesting. I think I had mentioned in one of my last things about Dobby having big dick energy. Yeah. But it's not even just that. It's just such a drastic thing. And I, I think 
to an extent it is Dobby's personality, maybe even to wanting to be free. Because I don't think that it's just that he was with the Malfoys and the Malfoys are terrible. Oh yeah, I think um, he's just a weirdo. Yeah, for sure. Winky like completely fucking breaks down when he mentions clothes. So I almost want to be in Harry's brain at that moment because after everything that he went through with Dobby and that being a huge character in the second book, it's like, okay, wait, what now? Like in comparison, the way that Hermione is approaching all of this and looking at it too. I follow all of what you're saying. I wonder about Winky. Winky clearly does love Mr. Crouch. And I feel like Winky was probably not mistreated by Mr. Crouch, Mm -hmm. but she was required to do some things that would be beyond what she should be expected to do. But because she's so devoted to the Crouches, it doesn't cross her mind that this is asking too much. Like when she was afraid of heights, of being in the top box, because someone's got to be with Barty Crouch Jr. Again, that comes out in the end of the book, but like she is devastated because this is all she knows. Whereas, yeah, that's all Dobby knew, but he was openly mistreated. (laughs) And yes, he's a fucking weirdo. It is a different type of household. And while I don't want to say that the Crouches were not abusive, I feel like they were more like taking advantage of her. There's dedication there. She was dedicated and Dobby is obligated. That's a really good way to say that. It makes it even more fucked up than when Barty Crouch Sr. is so quick Mm -hmm. to say, well, we're going to give you clothes then. And just letting her have this breakdown because of that. Yeah. In an effort to try to deflect. Because I still think when all this comes out, he is still the more suspicious one. And I almost feel like him sacking Winky makes it even more suspicious. Right. The other big thing about Winky here at the end is that when they do finally get back to the tent and everybody kind of reconvenes, Percy is just so focused on Winky and protecting Crouch. Wow, you really like sucking that Crouch dick real hard, don't you? He doesn't let up on it. And it happens more in the next chapter too, obviously. The suspiciousness of Mr. Crouch, I think just goes back to what I was saying before about how he's actually not good in a crisis. He did not handle that well. His instinct was, I have to get rid of the thing that soils me. Also, I have to fucking figure out what's going on with my kid. Because later on in the book, when we see Mr. Crouch, he's just a fucking mess. Doesn't know where his Death Eater child is, who he fucking snuck and doesn't have hell self to take care of him. He is a goddamn mess. And he, in a reactionary moment, fucked himself over here. So I don't want to get too far away from how you said that, because what you said in his reaction to Winky is trying to get rid of the thing that soils me. But Winky isn't the one who soiled you, and I, you well know that. It's your son is who's the one who soiled you, and it's your fault. But his it, son is dead for the rest of the world. Exactly. So he is so fucked it, right now. It makes you know more better. Like, it right. could have very well been it you. It probably could have been much better for him had he not sacked Winky. Yeah. Because, and not even about his reputation or anything, but just for himself. You have no one, Mr. Crouch, and you just fucked yourself more by getting rid of this very devoted house elf. But I think it was all reactionary. I think he didn't know how to handle it. Everyone's looking at him. That is not acceptable because he does not approve of the dark arts. That's been his stance. That's been his identity forever. I do kind of feel sorry for his inability to handle the situation. I think he did it all to himself. He did do it to himself. And you said that he doesn't really have anybody, but he'll always have Percy. Or Weatherby. But he won't always have Weatherby. Because he's going to die this book. For the rest of his life, he'll have Weatherby. That's true. To kind of wrap this up, and we already talked about all of this actually closer to the beginning of the episode, but the last few pages really wrap up the chapter and kind of the loose ends, I think, really nicely. 
why it scared the Death Eaters, why they're there in the first place. The only other thing I actually have about the end of the chapter, mm -hmm. and you might have this too, is just the final connection to the Scar and the Dark Mark, which I also touched on mm -hmm. already, but it's good to kind of bring that back to connect all the pieces that we've seen in this book already. You mean about how Harry's like, oh, it's so coincidental and yes. stuff? I find it fascinating, the discussion that they have when they go back to the tent. So Mr. Weasley gets back to the tent with the trio, Fred, George, and Ginny are together. The three older boys who had kind of jumped into the mess and they clearly were trying to help. But what I find fascinating is that no one understands the whole dark mark thing. Oh, None yeah, of them yeah. understands the terror behind it. Mr. Weasley explains, no, 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 like, you don't understand this. Because Ron's like, it wasn't hurting anybody. Yeah, and that's true. He's not wrong. But it means somebody died. But it's also almost. fascinating that this entire family of wizards, this isn't a thing that we've talked about. And I wonder what that is like. Oh, that's kind of like, true. Why, I mean, yeah, we know why Hermione knows what it is. because She's Hermione. She knows everything. Yeah. But Ron, I wonder how parents and how the people who fought in the first wizarding war how they educated their children bill i think was probably in his first years at hogwarts when the war ended or he was about to go to school so you wonder does like bill probably would know because also he's an adult but like did they ever sit down and talk about this kind of history so that's one thing i was gonna say like why isn't this shit that is being taught in professor bin's class because they're talking about, you know, goblin rebellions from, like, the 1400s or something instead. Cool. Like, <laughs> at the same time. So you don't get to, like, most recent stuff until your seventh year, like, if it's going in. I mean, did you ever so, set the moon landing in high school? Because I sure as fuck didn't. We didn't I get that I far. I think I think, like, I think we <laughs> did talk about some more, like, recent... I mean, of course, there was, like, the Revolution War bullshit and all that. I feel like we got into some recent stuff in history. So there's that. The mm -hmm. whole, like curriculum angle i also think maybe it got to a point where like okay voldemort is now gone he has been defeated we never have to worry about this again that might also add into a little bit more of the overall fear at the quidditch world that Cup. is a fascinating response because when you look at how everybody in this entire world is when you even say the word voldemort People don't want to acknowledge it. But, like, Ron has been taught to be afraid of the name Voldemort, but he doesn't know what the Dark Mark looks like. I mean, perhaps, at the very least, like, it's very clear that everybody knows about Voldemort. It, to an extent, comes up in open conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I almost wonder, like, until Harry Potter was even in the picture, did they even talk about Voldemort? Now that Harry's back, everybody is kind of almost yeah. forced to think about it again. I guess maybe it's like, well, this is how far we can go. Let's not even go further. I, like, I'm trying to think of, like, another yeah. situation. This is maybe a stupid comparison, but the word fuck. And, like, why is the word fuck bad? Like, when you think about it, it's just a word. Mm -hmm. But them not giving information about how to have sex safely and responsibly. I was going to say something along the lines of, like, Nazis and, like, what Hitler did. Yeah. But we know about those symbols and how they were damaging and, and whatnot. And especially, like, thinking about things like the Confederate flag and how mm -hmm. those are damaging symbols. So, I'm curious. I don't want to be like, oh, they should have taught Ron that or they should be teaching their kids that. I'm just curious to know, like, how far into that type of information do families delve into you know, at yeah. home. I mean, 
It would be interesting to see like a history book from the 1950s to bring back up that comparison to see if they were like, this is what happened 10 years ago when none of you children were alive or when you were just infants and you didn't know better. Instead of starting with stuff that happened that yes, we're saying that this is part of what shaped where we are now so long ago, how fascinating would it have been in a high school history class be talking about the early 90s. Mm -hmm. I mean, I also even think about how the way that even like racism is portrayed and taught is... Oh, in the 1950s, the civil rights happened, mm-hmm. and Martin Luther King Jr. died, and all the racists went away, mm-hmm. which is obviously not true. To an extent, in the same way with this, if they do teach this, how was it taught? They don't go into all the details that you need to know, and that, like, this is very much still something that happens, and that all the Death Eaters are gone, and so on and so forth. So it could very well be some of that, too. I think that there's actually sometimes more of a parallel between wizarding school and regular school that we don't think about. Learning social norms is not a thing that we did. You know, we weren't taught anything like that. What was it that we were talking about at some point? It was something like, this should be like a very specific introductory spell that they don't teach in class. Magical survival or something. But we don't learn how to do taxes and that's something that everyone's going to have to learn how to do. Very similar. There are definitely issues with the muggle curriculum in the same way there's issues with like the wizarding curriculum. curriculum. I think maybe from an outsider perspective it's easier to see some of those flaws there but then when you really think about it they come up in things like this in terms of how people were taught about like recent history and and whatnot or you know even like defense against dark arts maybe it's better suited for there like I don't know. The only other thing I wanted to say was I love Hermione for her absolute fierceness and defense of Winky. Yeah. I love her. I love how it's instantaneous. And she sees it for how wrong it is. That being said, in this chapter, I don't think she's a problem, but I think down the road there's some problems there. In this chapter, I am kind of with her when she asks a simple question. She's like, what's going to happen to Winky? And Mr. Weasley doesn't know the answer and like, She's getting kind of frustrated with him and he's like, this is really not the time to discuss this. Like, it's a very relatable conversation. She has something important to say. He just dealt with this big fucking deal and they're not on the same level. And it's an interesting way that the house elf rights comes up. Hermione, we're not ready for her to be this like fierce about it. And it starts in this chapter, not the next one. Yeah. I forgot about that because I was thinking about how she and Percy go at it in the next chapter. But it's this chapter where Mr. Weasley can't answer her. That's where Hermione like really pops out to me. So far in this book, she's tagging along in the sporting event. We kind of talked about how like in the last chapter, how she's so good. Like she's really paying attention and she's in it and she's doing her best even though this isn't her thing. But this kind of gives an extra layer to Hermione that we haven't had yet ever with her, but also in this particular book. She's not afraid to just say it, I think is my big thing. She's frustrated because, yeah, everyone's upset about the dark mark. Everyone's upset about the rioting. But what's going to happen to this elf? Yeah. And she's not getting an answer and it's frustrating for her. There's an activism thing with her. This is all speculation, but some of the like conversations that she had with Draco about like, well, better make sure that they don't see Hermione and blah, blah, blah. I wonder if there's some almost connection there in terms of like justice on that front and then the level to which Winky is getting some injustice. It'll be really interesting to see how this grows and the missteps that she does take. But I'm here for it at first. Fuck, Mary kill. Sure.
So we run into several ministry officials in this chapter. Ones that we have been familiar with in the past on a kind of small level. So we're gonna fuck, marry, and kill those bitches. Okay. Fuck, marry, kill Crouch, Bagman, and Diggory. Because we actually didn't talk that much about Amos Diggory. I think that at first he has this initial thing that I think is also a little bit like forceful, similar to Crouch, but that very quickly melts away. And I think that Amos actually handles it better. I don't disagree with that statement, but I'm gonna kill Amos Diggory. Oh, you're gonna fuck and marry Bagman and Crouch? I'm gonna marry Crouch, cause he probably got a big fucking house. He's fucking crazy and unhinged and has a dark I side. I can handle him. You say that now. I don't know. I feel like, okay, go on. Sorry. Continue. I'm gonna so fuck you're fucking Bagman. Bagman. Oh, yeah, that's probably a good time. Yeah. Which one of those three do you want to fuck? I'm probably fucking Bagman too, but I'm going to marry Amos. Nope. I don't care about the big house. Maybe I'm the one who has the big house. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't have a big house. I don't marry somebody no. for their money. I mean, I don't either. But I know, I feel yeah, like. Well, you certainly are in this case. And yeah, I have to pick someone. Crouch is fuck, Mary kill. Yeah, but you're marrying for money. He's a dipshit. And I think Amos, even though he was a dick to Harry at first, I think that Amos is inherently good. I despise how Amos treats Winky more than, than how Crouch does. Yes. I do not. I think no. that Crouch is the worst. No, I don't like how Amos treats Winky. He continually like calls her elf. I think that what Crouch does is worse. What he does is worse. But Crouch is in a different situation than Amos Digger. It doesn't matter. I'm still marrying Amos. Uh, I, that's I, fine. I, Crouch, is, Crouch is on the shit list for me. I'm marrying this Crouch. Plus, I also know the fucker dies sometimes that's later in this book. So uh, That's cool. Well. I'm, and my son is hot, even if he's You're psycho. a gold digger. Crouch is dying in there, what for me. Yeah, Bagman is not marriage material and to an extent i also think that amos is kind of doing his job and maybe that is something put on to him by the ministry i mean we could go on and on about like mistreatment of house elves but i'm not certain that arthur if in a similar position would have been more similar to amos either so i think arthur is inherently always going to be nice he's going to be nicer but there is clearly a step between house elves and wizards that is a little bit more complex, I think. And Hermione rises above that. I don't know, we're out of fucking Mary Kill. We said who we're fucking Mary and Killing. All right, let's talk about this movie. First of all, the campsite is com completely fucking decimated in the movie. Yes, it is. It like too much. It, it looks like they came in and just fucking cleared So out. let's just say this is the only thing that happens in the movie that's in this chapter. Everyone's running around like fucking crazy, but there's no one around. Like Adam said, the campsite is decimated. It's dark and creepy. And then Harry sees Barty Crouch Jr. says Morse Mordra and there's the dark mark and Hermione and Ron find Harry in the end. That is all. That is good. So yeah, what are your what are your thoughts on that? When I'm thinking of like decimated, it's when Barty Crouch does Morse Mordra and it's like done. Like they burnt fucking everything to the ground. It loses the chaos that I think is necessary. It loses so much. One, it shows us who the fuck we're looking it for. It completely spoiled it again. Completely but they, they we spoiled that at the very beginning of the movie. So yeah. we've been spoiled twice um, now. And it puts him in line with the Death Eaters, which we've already discussed the difference extensively there. that he is not part of that group yeah as far as how they were behaving the fact that it goes very quickly from like oh my god here they are and you see them marching to everything's burnt down is just too quick and too drastic it mm -hmm. makes that feel very unsettling it's unsettling in the wrong way 
this was clearly like a huge like terrorist attack kind of thing but it loses kind of the details behind what they're doing. It doesn't really show what they're actually doing. It just kind of shows, oh, here's some bad people. Here's what happened. Voldemort isn't back yet. In the movie, it makes it seem like, oh, Voldemort's back. They burned everything down. Here's Morse Mordrae's, the sign of the Death Eaters. And it's this motherfucker, Barty Crouch Jr. And now at the very least, they don't say that it's Barty Crouch Jr. But if you have read the book, okay, we know who it is. They cut out things, obviously, to make things kind of more streamlined and easy for a mainstream audience. But it leaves a lot of questions unanswered, I think. Just par for the course on this movie. Totally. I don't know if they could have gone further in this movie without showing some of this part. So they did show that. But because of everything that also happens around there and all the different details that are in this chapter that are very important, this gets an F. I mean, it gets an F and it's still in the movie. That means that chapters that aren't even in the movie are doing better. (laughs) Too bad. I do think Amos Diggory does his best. So I'm giving him 10 points. I'm also giving 10 points to Winky. And I'm giving 10 points to Roberts because they had bad days. Roberts had a bad day previously and I gave him points earlier, but this is a bad day. So Poor Mr. Roberts. I'm also giving plus five to Ron and plus five to Hermione. Hermione obviously stands up here from the house elf standpoint, but Ron, we didn't really talk about Ron almost at all in this episode because there's too many people to talk about. Ron also like very initially is like, that's fucked up. <laughs> Maybe it's that's messed up, but it's very yeah, close. Yeah, he says it's very sick. He yeah, it's just... sick. Yeah. Throughout the entire chapter, he is kind of like standing up in the face of adversity and stuff. And I like that because it's not something that Ron gravitates to necessarily. In the last book, obviously, he was injured and stuff during a lot of the final action. But even the action that he goes through in the second book, he's terrified a lot of the time. So here, I feel like it shows a little bit of growth. Just a little bit on Ron since we didn't really talk about him. Negative 10 from Ludo Bagman. He tried to change things around real quick. He can spire and shit with goblins. Yeah. Then negative 20 from Draco Malfoy. For existing. For existing and for just bragging about his racist parents. Negative 20 from Barty Crouch. He's a dick in this chapter. And negative 30 just from the Death Eaters. I said Death Eaters slash Morris Mordor caster. Obviously, through this discussion, we did get to the bottom of that it is actually Barty Crouch Jr. But eventually, they're all going to be lumped together as Death Eaters. So I'm just going to list it as Death Eaters. Barty Crouch Jr. will obviously lose points more in the future. Very nice. To recap, that's plus five Ron and Hermione, plus 10 Amos, Winky, and Roberts, negative 10 Ludo Bagman, negative 20 Draco, and Barty Crouch Sr., and negative 30 Death Eaters. This was a long one. It's a long Remember one, Remember when we were like, oh, we've recorded 40 minutes. We're concise now. Ha ha ha. Even your one sentence thing. Didn't... Yeah, remember when Adam was mad that my thing was so short? If it was longer, maybe we wouldn't have talked for so much longer because I would have been like, well, you said in your things. I can't do anything right. Nope. Next time, (laughs) tune in to hear Tara fuck more things up when we talk about Chapter 10, Mayhem at the Ministry. I'll be back to fuck shit up. Bye. And I'll be back to correct Tara. So long. Ciao. I already said bye. Over the dare (laughs) cheat. Go fuck yourself. I already said goodbye. No, I said go fuck yourself to the listeners. I know. But I said goodbye a whole 60 seconds Cool. This is a great ending.
Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by me, Adam Bowers. And published by me, Tara Corkery, and available wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Please review and rate us five stars on your app of choice, and be sure to share us to all of your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Oh, don't forget to follow us on social media. Sometimes I update that. Basic Snitches on Instagram. Also, we have a Facebook page. And email us anything you want to or specifically answers to our questions on our segments. BasicSnitches at gmail.com. But don't send us dick pics, please. That's nasty. But do send us liquor. Thanks. Yeah. Alohomora. Oh, now people can get into your house. They're on their toe. But they don't matter because now you're a water goblin. Bye. Bye.